0: World and Welcome to the Off-Track Podcast. I am your host, as always, Matt Escheon. Thank you for pulling a chair to the table. Hopefully with COVID going on and the crazy weather we have from the west to the east, everybody is safe, sound, and healthy. So the power comes back on and hopefully everybody gets warm up again. This week, we have the honor of sitting down with Coach Amy Dean, the Director of Track and Field Cross Country at the U, but more for the University of Miami. Uh, the former U.S. Olympic coach and USTFCCCA Hall of Famer opens up about the reason she became a coach. Uh, the one thing she may have missed by staying at Miami for as long as she has, and the interesting hurdle, no pun intended, of course, but the interesting hurdle the coach went into her first few years at Miami this one will definitely have you scratching your heads so sit back relax put your feet up on the table this one is so good with Amy Dean All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us tonight on the off track podcast It is incredible to have you here. We're very excited. Very excited to have the Hall of Famer coach Amy Deem out of the University of Miami, uh, throw the U up for you put that up on the screen if we could, but uh, down at the U she's going to join us tonight. We're excited about that one. But as always, uh, we got the gang back. Let's see how we're doing. Um, Mr. Scott Williamson out there in Nevada. What's going on, man? How's
1: how's, uh, the weather? You know, uh, we're pretty lucky compared to everybody else across the U.S. I watch the Weather Channel, and I, uh, my heart goes out to some of you. I know, I know you guys are dealing with a lot of, uh, you know, not common weather activity. So we're, we're, we're here in Reno, Nevada, no complaints. So, and At least it's nice and beautiful, you know. It always is. Uh, is the track clean yet? Track is clean. Practicing today. Had a great one. Looking forward to another one.
0: Very nice. I like it. Uh, we've got, uh, over in Bloomington, Indiana, how many, how much snow were you under? Did you, did you have to shovel out or have you just given up Mike?
2: Well, yeah, I've been doing several a day. It reminds me of the time I spent in Milwaukee. We, I think all told, I would say we had somewhere around 13, 14 inches when it was all said and done, um, between two or three different storms. And we got another one coming like tomorrow and nothing. It's, you know, it's like 15 degrees so nothing's going anywhere. So we just got big old piles everywhere, but, um, I got power, I got water, so I'm feeling pretty good. We'll be okay.
0: Yeah. blessed there right there to be able to have that Absolutely. stuff. to A lot of people. Um, and, and speaking of people who are actually having trouble, Mr. Darren flowers down in the Rio Grande Valley, down there in UTRGV Darren, uh, you've talked a little bit about it, man, but you got power a little bit. The neighbors don't, how are things going?
1: I'm wondering when the zombies are going to come out. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to watch I Am Legend and just get ready, I guess. (laughs) It's crazy, man. No power, COVID, no food, grocery stores are closed, man. Hey, but I'm alive, man. I'm breathing.
0: It's like the movie Zombieland, except warmer. So there you go. See what happens. So uh, we've also got uh, Mr. Tom Sage joining us, the hurdle extraordinaire out there, balancing two basketball games, a podcast, and you know what else? Well, Where else knows what's going on. Tom, what do you got going on, man?
3: Oh, not much. Not much. Um, just trying to find spots to practice and pick and choose battles with weather ourselves. Um, we had an ice storm this last weekend, Oof. took down a bunch of trees. So, you know, we're trying to figure things out. We might have another ice storm this upcoming weekend. Um, So fingers crossed, everything is, we still have power and everything, but we'll see how it goes.
0: Man, I'm glad you have power. That's, that's the, that's the good thing, especially with able to do whatever you need to do. And hopefully the ice storm doesn't hit you guys hard. Uh, John, again, I know you're probably under about 20 inches of snow. I don't know how much you guys got down there in St. Louis, but what's, what's going on with you? Yeah, about
4: uh, 15 inches of snow. Uh woke up yesterday to minus 18 windchill, so it's miserable. <laughs> Quite frankly, it sucks. No <laughs> walking the dogs. We're supposed to have a cross-country meet on Friday. I don't know how the hell we're going to do that. We're going to Tennessee where it's going to be – I joked It's going to be uh, 30 there. It's like a whole new day. Oh, wait. It's like we're going to the tropics. It's 30 degrees. <laughs> It'll be fun though. No, it's uh, it's been a challenge. So we'll, but we'll get through it. Midwest
0: tough. Midwest tough. You got to be Midwest tough. I would say St. Louis tough, but you know that that hits a little bit home when it's more Milwaukee tough. uh, The kind of the way things go. I tell you what, we uh we woke up one morning uh, here in Birmingham and we had about an inch of snow, light fluffy snow. I could make some quick snowballs, my son, throw them around, and then uh, by the afternoon it was gone, and I could easily drive in here to get my COVID test and get everything going. But I feel I feel for everybody who doesn't have uh, power and all that stuff, it's not the it's a scary thing to have. no matter if it's a, a half hour or three hours is just not fun. So hopefully everybody's safe. Uh, and John, you're right. You go from an eighteen degree below zero windshield to thirty degrees above. like it feels like you should break out the shorts and uh, run around. It sounds hilarious to do it, but a fifty degree thirty degree swing. That's a huge thing right there. But uh, let's uh, enough about the weather where we have right now because we know uh, coach coach name is down in florida down in the down in miami and they definitely are sitting about the 80 90 degree range right now completely different to us coach how you doing
5: i'm doing great how are you tonight
0: good uh so am i right the weather's uh beautiful sit back go out and sip a margarita or something like that and relax
5: it's 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 been nice we're complaining it's a little bit too humid because you know we're not getting the cold fronts but uh But no, we've had a great winter and I'm embarrassed, not embarrassed, but we're just fortunate. You know, you guys have great weather in September. We have great weather in January, February. So, but no, it's been, we've had great training weeks and haven't had to worry about too much. We did have a little lightning yesterday, but which is abnormal for this time of year, but Mm -hmm. nothing's normal with COVID and the weather and anything right now. So you just got to roll with it.
0: That's very true. No questions about it. I remember uh, I talked to, Talked to the FIU coach this morning because we're coming up here to Birmingham for conference. And he's like, well, how are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm outside. It's 22 degrees. I'm practicing and I can barely hold my phone while I'm talking to you. He's like, Oh, it's 85 here. And I'm like, shut up. Yeah. (laughs) But yet again, by the end of the weekend, we're looking at 62 degrees. So nobody can feel bad for us. I wouldn't expect that. Um, So coach, again, it's incredible to have you here. I think there's a lot of different ways to go about this and a lot of different things. I'd love to, I know we're excited as a group to get to, to sit down and talk to you with. But first and foremost, I know you're from uh, Parkersburg, West Virginia, small little West Virginia town right there. Um, how did you get in? Tell me something, because, again, I've, I've seen you talk. I've heard you speak. I've seen the Hall of Fame speeches. Congratulations there. Um, but it's like, how do you go from West Virginia, small town, West Virginia? A, how did you get into track and field? And then B, what brings you down to Miami?
5: Well, my dad was very sports oriented and I think he really wanted a boy but he got a girl so I guess the, the the short answer is is that when you're an only child and you're a girl and you're a tomboy you just kind of like you know you you develop a love for sports so um I kind of tried everything I was pretty athletic for where I grew up and um so I love competitive to compete so it just sort of rolled like rolled with that and then um uh i started my in seventh grade i started it in because my dad played football and ran track at a division three school in ohio so he started me in track um like my seventh grade year and they taught me how to hurdle and i started running with the boys and it just one thing led to another i played tennis a lot too and in high school i had to make a decision so i don't know why track, and you know here we are so Um, Yeah, it was. It was. uh, Then I went to school at Ohio, um, Ohio U. Um, I kind of wanted to go away from all my friends were either going to Marshall or West Virginia, Mm -hmm. so I kind of wanted something different. And I really liked the campus at Ohio. Uh, I still wasn't ready to go that far home, so I ended up at OU. And um, long story short, I had multiple knee issues and um I got to be friends with our graduate assistant trainer because I spent way too much time in the training room and uh she ended up her first job was at Miami yep. did an intern came down for uh I was supposed to be here for like a five-week internship and I never left so
0: what, what events did you do on the track that you uh, were busting your knees up so badly
5: I was a hurdler 300 hurdler was my best event so um yeah so that was that was my best, my favorite, my passion. I think it's the best event ever is the 300 hurdles in high school, but that's just, you know, I'm a little biased, but, um, but yeah, so I was a hurdler. I uh, ran on some relays.
3: You said you played tennis um, and tried some other sports. Did you have a favorite sport growing up?
5: Um, Baseball, but my dad wouldn't let me play. All the boys asked my dad to let me play. I was a great pitcher, but they wouldn't let me play. So, you know, that was old school. I'm old, so that was old school. My dad would <laughs> play little league in 1970 something. So yeah, but you have,
3: a, you have a mean curveball or fastball. What was your pitch?
5: <laughs> fastball. Nice. Uh, no, I liked. I like all sports. You know, I I was kind of a little bit before like soccer. My dad was always. Uh, he came to a lot of track meets for a while, and um, he always with hope I was he. He felt I would have been a great pole vaulter, so I don't know. He's, he wished we had pole vault when I was running track, but I liked the hurdles. I was fine with that.
0: Still a little bit of an element of danger, too. Not much, but, again, you still got to jump over something that you never – especially back then. You don't know what it's going to do when it comes back up or if it's going to go anywhere. You
5: know? uh, my my – actually, I don't know if it is a sport, but my favorite, my favorite thing growing up was water skiing.
0: Hmm. I, oh, I, I, there you go
5: all summer every summer i love it. If if i knew now what i knew or knew then what i knew now track would have never i would have moved to orlando and been a professional water skier that's that would have been my life so but i didn't know that you could be a professional water skier so <laughs> so I mean,
0: I'm a- <laughs> I mean i know uh, i read the bio a little bit but at the same time like well i guess you get down there to Miami, you just start water skiing. That's actually the whole reason you didn't leave. You're like, you know what? I'm not going back up there. They got better water down here. They got more stuff to do. This is, I mean, heck, I can do this year round. We just said it was 90 degrees. You can do it tomorrow if you want to in the middle of February.
5: Not a lot of water skiing in Miami. I can tell you that. You got to go a little, but yeah, as, so you... as we all know, there's not a whole lot of weekends and times to, uh, to do certain things like that. So, but it's all yeah.
0: Yeah, it's not hard. That work-life balance is something we've talked about on this podcast before, and it's it's very important, but it's not an easy thing to be able to do. So you come down to Miami, um, and, and you said it was a, a compliance. Your friend was in athletic training, had an intern down here for a few years. Um, how did you get into the, the coaching profession? Did you walk over to the track office and say, hey, you know, do you need a volunteer, or how did that all happen?
5: Um, when I was injured in, in college, I volunteered a lot, and mm-hmm. I always knew, Coach. I actually thought I was going to be a high school teacher and a coach. And you know, that was going to be my life. And um, and I was perfectly OK with that. But um, I, uh, I I actually was volunteering. I coached uh, my junior year, I think. I ended up helping out at a high school. Um, I had actually accepted a graduate assistant position and was going to be a GA at, at Ohio U. And I came down to do the internship during the Christmas holiday. And, um, I was in the middle of my master's and, you know, I got the opportunity to stay. And then I started working with the track program at Miami. Um, and then it just, one thing led to another it, when I came to Miami, there was not, there was very little, um, the coach actually coached elementary school all day and came over in the afternoon. So it wasn't a very organized, there wasn't a lot going on in track and field at that time. So, um, and I was probably a not probably, but a product of of Title IX because we had a great football team in the 80s. Uh, so of yep. you, that's mm-hmm. uh, Title IX was kind of coming around, so we needed more women's sports at Miami, and it's sort of it's everything sort of evolved from this. an athletic director who um, gave me an opportunity been a very young, very wasn't a whole lot to you know, it kind of had to start from scratch, so. It was, it was kind of, I look back at it. I'm not quite sure how it happened, but it did.
0: But sometimes that's the most brilliant thing. Sometimes you look back at it and given the position, you're like, well, I better take this. Cause if not, I don't know if it's going to happen again. And it might be a one year, a three year, a five year thing or a 29 year thing, whatever, apparently things like that go with um, what was <clears throat> when you got going. Um, I mean, so you knew you wanted to be a coach. Let me actually rephrase this a little bit. You knew you wanted to be a coach. Was there, what was it? Was it because your dad was in sports that was such the big influence in that kind of thing? Or what, what kind of influence wanting to be a coach?
5: I don't know. Um, to, my mom was a nurse and my dad owned a family owned business. He was a pharmacist. So I, um, I just always loved athletics. I always wanted to teach. I, I guess from I kind of got from my mom. I wanted to help people and make a difference. Okay. Um, so I think that's where, and the older I got, the more okay well you know i want to teach then i got into sports and it's like okay i want to be like my middle school or or junior high school coach and then oh my high school coach you know so it's this sort of as i got older and and you experience more things and your eyes are open to different opportunities you know i just sort of kind of grew with it and then when i got to miami um you know when you're in your 20s you you think you can conquer the world so um they gave me an opportunity and i was like all i all i can remember is thinking i can't mess this up i'm not going to mess this up this is like a once in a lifetime opportunity so i'm gonna you know i'm gonna do the best that i can do to take advantage of it and so that was kind of my mindset
0: assume uh do you, do you remember a mistake or two you may have made your first couple of years
5: oh i made plenty <laughs> <laughs> um you know i think i think the hardest uh probably the biggest mistakes I think recruiting was hard not having a mentor not having kind of having to teach things teach yourself things and luckily I got involved really early with um in the coaches education program um people like Gary Winkler you know just a lot of Dan Path, a lot of that that initial group that wrote a lot of that curriculum I got involved with them so I always had a it was always a phone call away but um I think the biggest thing was was recruiting. I think just really understanding the value of bringing in kids that that not only run faster, jump far, or throw far, but that that kind of fit your personality and kind of fit what you're trying to do, because um, I think we all know that, you know, if you don't recruit the right people, it, it ends up being it can be very stressful, you know, and you spend a lot more time doing other things than you do coaching. So I think that was probably early on. The biggest lesson is just finding the type of kids that we're going to fit at Miami and that we're going to fit in our coaching staff and just really help us develop the program.
0: And you've done an unbelievable job at, uh, developing the program, if I'm not mistaken, when you took over. I mean, you took over for a guy who was an elementary teacher, essentially. And yes. so. It- it's like you know you could actually you've got a little bit of bar not much of a bar to clear but at the same time you rocked it and you rocked it very very quickly how did the I guess what I'm let's say what I'm going for is so you've had how, how did how many times over the years and you've been again for 29 years you've been in Miami how long have you changed the philosophy a little bit or like hey I think we want this kid or this type of kid but have you adjusted it or the values how's that kind of stuff evolved over the years
5: um I think you know, we went through a phase where we just got the best kids we could get. And mm-hmm. sometimes that wasn't, you know, whether it was character, whether it was, you know, we, we've, we've been fortunate to have some really good kids. I, I You know, I'm, we all have. You've been coaching this long. And, you know, mm-hmm. now kids, you can almost recruit. I can almost recruit some of the kids now and um, their kids. But um, I think the biggest thing is just really um, we've always kind of known what our niche needed to be being in South Florida, you know, um, we always, I always felt that to have the best program was more power, you know, jumps, um, throws and sprints and hurdles. So I I feel like it's a little bit tougher to, you know, to, and, and we just actually hired a new, um, distance coach. So I want to be careful with that because we've actually, we've signed a couple really good middle distance kids, but, you know, I I think, you know, we're not going to, the 10,000 is going to be hard to excel in at Miami. I mean, it's, it's just the way it is. So we, we've we tried to really develop a, a, a philosophy where we can fit, you know, what we have at Miami, what we have to offer at Miami with the best athletes to, to build the best team. Um, so, but yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing is, again, back to just recruiting the type of kids that are going to fit with us and that are going to um, just really help us attract that next better kid down the line.
2: So you talk about what you look for or, you know, a fit with the student-athletes and whatnot. You, have I'm sure, hired a ton of people um, in your time there. How how has that process evolved or what is it that you look for when you're trying to fill your staff and, um, you know, just personality types or needs or that sort of thing?
5: I think, um, you know, I've been fortunate to have a, a lot of really good coaches. Um, Miami is, is uh, you know, when we first started, we didn't have a, a – great budget for hiring people and then south florida's you know it's not like living in bloomington or right. you know now so it's, it's you know it's got a lot to offer but it's not the cheapest place to live mm-hmm. i've been fortunate to um and, and frustrated because i've i've been i've been fortunate to to find some young coaches up and coming coaches and i get them for a couple years and then they end up you know they end up Some other schools come in and and, uh, hire them and, you know, they have great opportunities. But, you know, I I look for somebody who's going to work hard Um, to me. It's yes. You know, we're hired to win championships and to develop young people. But I think also there has to be, you know, they have to kind of have that same philosophy of wanting to make a difference. You know, I think we all know as coaches if you get in it just for the winning and you know, you're not going to be in it very long because that's, that's not what coaching is truly about. I mean, yes, that's what keeps our jobs in a lot of places, but so for me, it was really trying to find people that fit with me um, and, and, you know, fit what we were trying to do. Um, And then, and it really just was about the development of young people and, and making a difference in young people's lives.
0: That's incredible right there. And that's, that's the thing I think a lot of us do, because we definitely don't do this for the paycheck. Uh, I can tell you that. <laughs> we definitely don't. Do you guys sit down? Uh, just curious with with the staffs and with the, you have all of do you guys sit down on a yearly basis and redo what the values are, redo where the direction you guys want to go or kind of, um, I guess, the core beliefs of the program or how many times have you actually sat down and said, this is the, this is the direction. I need to adjust these kinds of things. Cause sometimes as, as programs, you get somewhere you're there for four or five years, you're like, Oh, I, you know, this is good. Then you go, man, that was way off and I needed to adjust this. And with that kind of stuff, does that make sense?
5: No, it does. I think um I'm going to answer it a little bit different way. One of the things, you know, I think that like it in life, there's, you know, everything there's the good and the bad and mm-hmm. the good thing. I've been fortunate to be in a program for a lot of years, um, and you know, really develop it and keep it going. The downside is is that I haven't experienced you know different places and the way people do things, you know, and I feel like that's the way you get better. You've always you're all, I'm always trying to learn and and figure out a better way to do something. So it, you know, and that's one of the aspects when I'm interviewing. I, I really try to um and and bring new people in that you know, just to, I don't want to be stuck in the Miami way or, or the Amy Dean way. I really want to, um, you know, see what like try to learn and try to figure out if there's better ways to do things. So yes, we self-evaluate a lot. We sit down at the end of the year. Um, you know, when I first started at Miami, I had one assistant coach, um, you know, no support staff, like administrative help. So um, really up until and then when i took over the men's program we were still a a coach short so really um about 2011 was the first time you know that we were fully funded with with a full coaching staff so um that's been that's really allowed us to to sit down and and look at some things and you know we we like i said we sit down weekly um we do weekly staff meetings we sit down you know at the end of indoor we'll kind of sit down a little bit longer and as a staff and you know what do we what changes do we need to make what do we need to do to get ready for outdoor um, and then in the summer we sit down in early fall we do a lot so um, I'm a person that I feel like you really you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with so mm-hmm. for me I want a bunch of people that you know a, a bunch of coaches on my staff that that just kind of tell you what you want to hear. You know, I, I, there's a way to do it, but I really want to be, you know, I want, to, I want to be challenged to look at things a different way. And then when we walk out of the staff meeting, we agree this is the direction we're going to take, but, but I do like ideas. I do um, challenge the, um, whoever my coaching staff is to, to, you know, to not be afraid to bring things up because I think that's how we get better.
0: You know you make some great points there and that's what I've, one thing I've always said is I'm just going to challenge you know I do in a very respectful way. Uh, but sometimes you need to challenge what's going on. And it's, again, it's not to be mean, it's not to be belittling or anything like that. It's, you have to do it in a respectful way, but saying, hey, what if we do things differently? What if we bring these people in? What if we recruit this differently, change the hotels, change the restaurants, or change the philosophy? Like this is the way we want to go with things. Yeah, you can do a heck of a lot. And that's the best part is again, get the staff on the same page. You may argue a lot in the staff meeting, but making sure when you walk out the door, you guys at least are on the same page and and off you go from there. so, go ahead.
5: No, no, I was I was going to say because, you know, the young people that we that we work with every day, they're very perceptive. So, and one of the biggest compliments that that I get a lot is that from recruits, from families is that, you know, even a coach I just hired a few years ago, it's like you guys really like each other. Like you do mm-hmm. things together, like as a staff, you really like each other. And to me, that's one of the biggest compliments you can get because um it's important to me I don't want to work with people I don't like and I don't respect I think and I think the young people if they see a cohesive staff then it helps have a cohesive team so uh, going back to a question I was asked earlier I think that's you know I think that's important when building a team you have to have a staff that's working towards goals and goals and, and actually gets along and um, and I think our team at Miami, I think they see that. They see that we like each other. They see we have fun together. You know, it's been a little challenging in COVID because you can't, we haven't been able to do as many things together, but I think that's one of the things that has made us a successful staff.
0: It absolutely has. No questions about that. And the fact of being you know, fully funded in 2011, that kind of helps out as well, just a little bit too. Yeah. just so. <laughs> It's hard to do just, what you guys have go ahead, Scott, please.
1: Well, I was just, you know, she, you mentioned uh, taking over the the men's program in uh, 2011, I believe. What were some of the challenges, um, you know, from, you know, having a a women's only program to adding the men to the the mix?
5: Um, The biggest challenge was just the mindset. I mean, I think, you know, when you, when you take two programs and then you have six coaches, clearly you, you, you cover the events a lot better. I think that's why, you know, we've pretty much gone that way across the country with, with combined programs and one head coach. It just allows you to to have a more diverse coaching staff. Um, the biggest challenge was that it's just, um, it's taken a little bit longer than I think any of us would like to really get our men's program rolling. Um, we've had some, some really good athletes, but as a team. Um, but I think that there's, it, there were some challenges um, just because the women's team one more conference championships. We have more, you know, there's just a lot more um, history and tradition on the men's side. So really, I mean, on the women's side, so just getting the guys to buy in, um, getting, you know, recruiting the right type of kids to do the same things on the men's side as we've done on the women has probably been the biggest challenge. Um, But like, I'm really excited about our men. We've got a very good young group this year. And I think, um, you know, we've, we finally kind of been able to attract the type of kids that um, on the men's side that they're going to help us and, and have the same success on the men's side that we've had on the women's side.
0: There you go. Actually watching you, there'll be no doubt you guys will rock and roll with this kind of stuff uh, very, very quickly. Or you already are. Um, but going back to questions about, uh, as Scott just mentioned about like, hey, you had the men in there, that's a little bit of a challenge. What are some of them as, as a female and back, especially when you got hired, it wasn't, as you said, there's not a lot of females in those head coaching roles. Uh, what have been some of the the challenges? What are some of the things you faced that have been like, wow, those, that was a big challenge uh, throughout your your coaching career as a female and as a head coach?
5: Early on, um, you know, when we were first, when like Barton County and and you know some of the junior colleges were um, really rolling a little bit more than they are now from funding standpoint. Yep. Um, it was very difficult. Um, Bev Kearney was at Florida, then at Texas. Um, so there was very few um, female head coaches. Terry Crawford had just left Texas. Um, so it was like the one of the bigger challenges was that, that a lot of females at that time when we were trying to build a program at Miami had never been coached by a female. You know, you had these great Jamaican athletes at the junior colleges and they'd never, never been coached, never. Um, so it was very difficult that part was very difficult and I'm the type of person that I'm, I'm, I'm only going to focus on what I can control. I mean, I would try to recruit them. If they said no, I would move on. And, and we were fortunate, you know, to find some other athletes. But I think that was the biggest challenge is, is, you know, early on was just trying to recruit young people that, you know, really hadn't been coached and were scared to be coached by a female. Um, and to me, that's the biggest, probably one of the things that I like, the most is, you know, now is the fact that there's so many young female coaches out there. And again, it's not just about females. It's just about them being exposed to different things so that they, you know, they're not just stuck on picking a school because they've never been exposed to something. So that was a big challenge. When I took over the men's program, it wasn't like I found with the guys and maybe I don't know, just, just me, the guys just want to be good they don't really care who coaches them. They just want to be good. So if it's, you know, as long as somebody's coaching them and treating them fairly and like they can just sort of roll with stuff. A little. So for me, there, it was a bigger challenge early on in my coaching career with the being never women, never being coached by women. Men seem to be, when we took over at Miami, they just seemed to be a little more resilient and this kind of went with the flow. And when they got better, they were, you know, as long as they ran faster, they they were fine.
0: I'd say I'd say that's probably right. And yeah, most of us here have been we're collegiate athletes, and it's like, yeah, I'll take whoever it is. Let's just go ahead and rock and roll. Uh, my middle school coach was actually was a was a female, and she was incredible. I loved her, Coach Powers. It was awesome, uh, and I just didn't know anything different. I was like, I'm being coached to run fast. So, and that's something that kind of amazes me a little bit. I guess I never really thought about the fact that females not wanting to possibly go to a school, especially like Miami, and saying because they're not going to be coached by a female. I just assume they're going to be coached, you know, they will be coached by a female.
5: Yeah. My head coach in high school was she won more national or more state championships than anybody. So for me, I, I didn't know any different. I was coached by a male in junior high and a female in Mm -hmm. high school. So it wasn't, and I had a male and a female coach at Ohio U. So it wasn't, you know, for me, it just, I don't know. I, I'm just not a person that really, I kind of connect with who I connect with. I, whether you're, a female a male you know it just it's to me i never really thought about things like that so that that i guess probably made it a little more difficult for me too so yeah.
0: but still i think uh, i mean you've done an incredible job but there's no questions about it and again it, it's evolved and was it do you think that kind of thing's evolved more just because the sports evolved and we've had younger or we have more female coaches in the high school ranks that makes it more comfortable or is it more just because hey I came in here, Miami's rock and rolling. You've got some some incredible athletes, some national qual- qualifiers and all of a sudden people are like, "Oh. Okay, I see I see the results. I can go ahead and do that." Was is there a point that changed for you guys?
5: Um I think it's a combination of all of the above. I think, you know, more and more even at the, you know, when I first started traveling overseas for international teams and mm-hmm. and and traveling with lauren when she was running it you know professionally there were very few especially female sprint coaches um you know i mean it wasn't just a u.s problem i remember speaking to a group of female coaches in great britain um like 2011 and um the some of the things that they had gone through or or were going through just you know i thought I it was nothing. I mean, my life was easy compared to some of the challenges that they had. So, um, but again, I I never really focused on it unless people asked because I am who I am. I can't control. You know what I mean? I can only control what I can control. So, um, for me it was just just keep it rolling. If if this work doesn't work, then I'm going to find a, you know, the avenue that does work. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I'm just guess i don't know i'm just different in that aspect i'm just not going to focus on what i can't control
0: uh, control the controllables it's one of the best things in uh, i remember my coaches said a coach you know and scott you and i had the same coach how many times do we hear control the controllables you go into the conference meet control the controllables and mm. how we tell our kids is every single week and i guarantee you our head track coach is going to say that oh a wise man said this yeah, yeah i know who the wise man was Here's my coach it was hilarious um, but you have to because if you start trying to control everything else outside of it things aren't going to go well uh and you know we've all seen that before uh, so coach so what advice and, and then we i want to get a little bit of a track and field side of this stuff too and some of the meets and organizations and that things too but first off uh, definitely a question i want to get to i want to ask what advice would you give and i'm going to go with younger female coaches here i guess you go younger coaches in general Um, But what advice would you give a younger female coach trying to get into the profession or some of the things that you're going to run into? Like, hey, Be aware. These are some of the issues you might run into and that kind of stuff.
5: Um, You know, I don't think there's, I mean, maybe I'm a little night. I just think there's such a bigger network now for younger coaches. Um, You know, I think from the top down, I think there's more ADs out there that are willing to that realize that females can coach men and women. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's, it's much easier. I would just encourage them. I would probably take it a little bit different avenue now. And then just to be able to um, manage that, like work, you know, that work life balance, because I think for, you know, I had, I was fortunate to have a very good young assistant coach, and um, she's now at Arizona State. And, you know, and just really, she's married, she just had her second child. And just really, even though I didn't have great work-life balance, you know, really encouraging her to do it. And I think that's more the avenue is to go after your dreams, but support the the young females in our, in our profession so that they can have that. They can have both. They can have, you know, the coaching career. They can have, you know, a family. So that would probably be more because I just think all of us are just you know, in the last 10, 15 years, there's just a lot more opportunities for women. There's a lot more support for women. Um, you know, there's, uh, within the USTCCA, um, you know, there, there's now mentorships for, mm-hmm. for young men. So for women wanting to get into coaching. So I just think there's, you know, there's that aspect. It's just more of, once we get them in supporting them so that they understand that they can, they can have both would be, would be where I would go with it now.
3: Coach, can you talk a little bit about your, your own personal work-life balance and maybe some of your staff's uh, work-life balance and how you maybe promote them to have a appropriate work-life balance?
5: Yeah, I'm not the example. So it's more of like, (laughs) what I say now with, um, my work-life balance is my Labradoodle, so, um, but he's, he's my best buddy, but, um, but no, I, um, I, I really encourage him, you know, I have, um, our associate head coach is, uh, has two young boys, um, and so, and his wife works, so, you know, we just, I really work with them, just and encourage them, if they, if they need time to go to an event, you know, we, we, I just really try to work with them and encourage them, and if, if you don't need to be in don't be in the office. And I've probably even grown a little bit or my ideas have changed a little bit in COVID because I've realized how much we've actually been able to get done and not be in the office for all those months. And, and even when we went back in the fall, I don't know how some schools were, but you know, there were like if we didn't have practice initially, we weren't supposed to be in the building, you know. So it's kind of like just be there when you need to be there. But um, you know, like I, I really encourage them to you know, don't punch a time clock. If you get in, if you have weights early in the morning and you're done at two o'clock, go. You know, go pick up your kids from school. Like, don't just sit in the office if, you know, just because you're supposed to be there at a certain time. So, yeah, really just try to encourage them to, you know, to, you know, prioritize, get what they need to get done and then and then do, you know, go home and, and take care of their family. I've got, you know, one assistant who's planning a wedding. Um, You know, so we're just I just feel like there's you can I just encourage them to when they're there, get it done, be efficient and then get out. Don't just waste time. So it's pretty much um, the way we handle things. But I just really encourage them to if we have a weekend off, I'm like, I don't want to see you, you know, go go do something, go. You know, we have Saturday off. Get out of here. Go do something with your kids. Go do something with your friends. So I, I think we we do a good job as a staff with
3: that. Yeah, I think if there's one positive for our industry that came out of COVID, it's it's maybe that kind of that kind of thinking. You know, we'd we have been maybe known to be in the office a little too late in years past, and you know, this COVID experience has shown us like we can be efficient with our work. We can be home with our families when we need to be home with our families. <laughs>
5: Yeah, I think the hardest part at Miami has been um, our throws coach. He's he's the one that has the two young boys. Sometimes they come out and it, like they, we were leaving the meet this past weekend and, and the boys were on FaceTime with Corey and like the jumpers almost jumped over. I mean, the throwers almost fell over top of me because, you know, we haven't seen the boys. We don't see them that much anymore. And usually we see them, you know, on weekend practices and things. But at our school, you're not really supposed to, nobody's allowed in the facility if you're not in the testing protocol, including kids. So, um, it's been challenging. So, but yeah, I mean, you find ways to make it work. And I think that, you know, that's the, you miss enough events of kids as a coach of your kids. So anytime that you can work something around to, to support them and spend time with them, then I'm all for it.
0: Yeah, I think Tom's right. There's a lot of, you know, we definitely have realized you can do a lot more, a lot quicker, and you can still have a better work-life balance and be able to do things. Uh, And hopefully we've learned a lot from that. And you're you're right. A lot of people, I remember when I first got into coaching, it was getting there. But, you know, again, I didn't have kids at the time. Uh, My wife was working in academics, so I could get in at 8 o'clock and get an hour and a half worth of work and two hours in before, you know, the big boss man got in. And Sometimes, you know, hour before, you know, uh, the AD got in. And then, would grind till six seven eight o'clock at night and keep going then as i've gotten older i'm going what did i do you know why did i just i mean i know i did a lot i know i accomplished a lot but there was not as much work-life balance as it is now and so it actually it actually makes me feel a heck of a lot better so yeah you're right tom especially hopefully people have sat back in this thing going yeah let's take a little bit more time let's take let's go well, you know what it's not going to hurt us coming an hour later but just make sure that whatever you've done, as you said, Amy, whatever you've done, make sure you're getting it done and you're doing it well. Don't just half-ass it, get in here, get it done, be efficient and, and make sure everything is set up. So I think uh, zoom meetings and we all become experts on these kind of things, no matter what we're doing. Um, yeah. You
2: know, you know, I think it's, what's interesting is, you know, none of us have had access. Nobody's had access to these athletes as much as we normally would in the past year. And people are, just performing like crazy. Right. So like what I may have learned from all this, and this is more a comment, not a question, but like, we all, I think tend to be fairly control oriented and want to, you know, have our hand in every little thing that an athlete's doing, or, you know what I mean? Like control every little movement. And it turns out, like you said, you, you get the right people And you give them just a nudge or two in the right direction, maybe that might work out a little better than if we're on top of them saying we want this, 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 this every single day. It's fun. You know, like if those kids are good, they're going to be good. And and maybe and I don't want to piss off a bunch of coaches here. Maybe we get in the way sometimes, you know what I mean? Maybe it's just a matter of making sure the bus leaves on time every now and again and we don't have to be so on top of it, just, just something I kind of just noticing these, some really phenomenal performances in the past couple of weeks. Um, you would think it would be the opposite of that, but it's not. So, you know, how do we get here?
5: Yeah, I w- I actually agree with you. I, I, you know, I changed my fall around. I think we all did, you know, you said mm-hmm. for, if we were actually going to get a train anyway, but you know, you, you kind of, it was amazing. Some of the things that I got to things quicker I guess than like you said than I anticipated after you know some of them didn't do anything for 5 months there was no I mean down here there was no facilities open mm-hmm. there was no and our our university was completely locked down so but they um I think it's twofold number 1 you know it, it makes you reevaluate what you just said but also um the thing that I found which was I think that some of our athletes really appreciate like really appreciate it like they they're taking advantage of everything now that it was taken away Mm -hmm.
2: from quickly
5: Mm -hmm. and now they're you know it's just training's just gone really well because they don't want it you know they don't want to lose it again they know what it's like to have it taken away from them so i think that that helps as well too they're they're a little more diligent especially the ones be good they're they're a little more diligent on doing things because they know what it's like not to be able to do things
2: it's a great point i agree with
0: that too for sure 100 no questions about it and that's been the amazing thing everybody throwers jumpers sprinters distance runners we've seen some unbelievable things because you've been able to train you've been able to focus on your craft and you've really been able to to um perfect your craft i think is the best way to put it with a lot of things that's why you've been running so fast and i love seeing it Heck, the bar has been unbelievably raised. Let's just take the men's mile real quick for for a a quick second. I mean, normally it's 358.6 is what'll get you into the national meet, 358.4, 58.6, roughly every single year. Right now, 356 is gonna get you in. It's gonna be one of the last times in. I mean, that's not supposed to happen. (laughs) But it's, I mean, it's a testament to how fast these guys are, you know, they're running. Well, of course not how testament how fast they're running but how better they're training and how smarter they're probably being. And honestly, now you can be a little bit more, you know, we all talk about it, if you got spring break or you've got, uh, everybody comes back early for Christmas from Christmas break or, you know, for the fall you bring them back a week early and they're quote unquote, the Pearl runners. Cause all they have to do is run. Well, A lot of kids are on the online zoom classes. All they got to do is run. All they got to do is lift and training and, and go from there. So. I think a lot to be said about that. Um, coach, one thing we've always asked about this, uh, on this podcast, a little bit here. Um, Track meets in general is something we've always looked at a little bit, and uh, you're smiling, so it's going to be entertaining a little bit. Uh, if you've listened to us, you guys know about this. We won't open the can too much. We'll let Coach talk about it a little bit. Um, one thing we've looked at, we love the Pro Track series that's about to come out. We love the American Track League and what they're trying to do and what they're doing on ESPN. Uh, that stuff is great. It's a huge publicity for it. Um, but let's be honest, everybody here on this call tonight or, you know, everybody on the call, but on the broadcast, we're not in the pro business. We're in the collegiate business. So what is it that you would love to be able to see a track meet do? And would you shorten the track meet to make it more uh, better for fans? Would you make it longer? Would you shrink the teams down? Would you go to a power five group of five? Like, What, what would you do to take a look at the meet saying, this is something we could do to bring in not just the average, to bring in the average fan, because as we all know, we go to a meet and it's going to be, Hey, the people who most of the time want to watch it is the high school coach that wants to come over the high school kid that wants to come over. Or maybe there's a Miami alum that wants to come over or a UAB alum. That's like, Oh, there's a meet on in town. And even then, sometimes the problem is they'll have, you know, and I've talked this to people before is, Hey, there'll be a football game in town and then there'll be a cross country meet. Well, the guy came in town for the, for the football game and didn't even know there was a cross country meet going on. Like oh, you could have come in Friday, see the cross country meet Friday night, and then Saturday you're tailgating at you know Kinnick Stadium and off you go. So is there something? Is there a way you would change track and field meets?
5: Um, I get. I I think the thing. I mean, when you when you do get to go to you know if you have a professional athlete or you get to go to you know some of the meets, um, it does spoil you. And then you know, I do think that the one one positive of covid i mean there's some but not many but i think one of the things is it's forced you know we haven't gotten outdoors yet but it's forced um meets to have less teams Hmm. and so i wouldn't change the sport drastically but i do think that when we're sitting there watching 20 some heats of you know the indoor 400 or the indoor 200 or you know i do think that that makes it Number one, hard to televise and 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 not necessarily spectator friendly. Um, I, I think that's the biggest thing. Is I would really like us to look at, you know, is how we set up some of our meets. Um, so that's that's really it. I mean, I wouldn't. I, I was laughing because I was I was thinking about it that after practice today, because I'd read through your list of stuff that we might be going over. But yeah, I I you know, I, I clearly we can't run a, a professional model, but I do I do like, you know, that there's less teams that especially, you know, like I said, we've only had indoor. Um, you know, I, I don't think it would hurt the sport to go to some smaller meets. Um, you know, you could go back and forth on the scoring. Um, I noticed like we haven't gone to Arkansas this year, but I know I think Arkansas scored almost every meet. Yep. yep. Um, I know Florida relays is completely different this year. It's only like 12 power five teams or 12, yeah, 12 power five teams. So like, I think a lot of the meets we're going to go to, we've, we've taken the NCAA championship or the preliminary round down to what, 32. So I think, I think there's some, you know, I, I do think you could make it a better situation. And then I say that, but then you, you know, I'll talk to some of my kids who went to these age group track meets and sat out at these age group track meets from eight in the morning till eight at night. And they thought it was the greatest thing ever because they were out there with their friends all day. But I, I, I just feel like, I I feel like less teams, you still get a great competition and competitiveness as opposed to these marathon track meets. Oh, I, I just, I mean, even our administration, I don't think, you know, at least mine has made comments to me over the years about some of these, you know, really big track meets that, you know, are are 10 and 12 hours long. And so for me, I think I would just I would like us to see go more, you know, less teams and and just and kind of roll with that.
0: Is there a way that we could actually have? Uh, I know we'd have to go back to the in- infrastructure, but would you be willing to? You've been in for a long time. You've got a set way of doing. How Miami's been successful? No questions about that kind of stuff. As you said, it's very tough to have a 10,000 meter at Miami. Uh, the heat, the heat, kind of hurts that a little bit. And you can correct me if I'm wrong there. Of course, uh, it's a little hot here in Birmingham, and sometimes it's not the easiest to have uh, some of the distance runners and stuff. But does that kind of thing, where some of the programs have those disadvantages, uh, and they we decide to do things differently, because we just talk about the sprints pro, or the 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 you know, the Portland's, the Bradley's, the Iona's of the world, and that kind of stuff. They're all distance powerhouses. Do mm-hmm. programs like that just make it almost impossible to have a, a true team national champion and that kind of thing, or would we have to redo it all?
5: Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm not necessarily a proponent of the, I mean, I think we do have a team. I mean, it's semantics. I, I you know, I think that I'm kind of traditional. I think, you know, what's what's a state meet some of the most we get the most spectators in this country what it's state track meets right you yes. know usually like so but how do you get to the state track meet how does your team get to the straight you you advance you know districts regionals whatever your state is um and I just think that's our sport we're not we're not soccer we don't you know and you know so does does the best pole vaulter in the country don't doesn't go to a national championship you, You have a different one for them because they happen to be at a school that they're the best athlete and they're they're the only athlete that can make the championship. So I don't necessarily agree with, you know, that going that far with the team. Um, You know, I do think sometimes we get a little bit and I'm probably going to get knocked down for saying this. This is this will be my one thing on the podcast that uh, that I'll go out on a limb. I do think that sometimes we are too participatory. I think that not everyone should get on the bus. Um, I think that within teams that we should, you know, that there should be an accountability. And I say that being a private school that's never had big roster sizes, but, um, but I really do think that that's, you know, if we have a problem in our sport. I just feel like that that's it, that it's, it's too participatory that like, There's got to be standard. There's got to be a level of expectation and not everybody gets a ribbon. And that's probably the area I'm going to get knocked down a little bit in, but I, that's just how, you know, so I I don't have a problem with our championship. I think, you know, if you win a national championship, I remember my first year, one of my first years coaching at the NCAA indoor championship, Brooks Johnson was the head coach at Stanford. And he had, um, I can't think of a jumper's name and Christy Gaines. They won the long jump, the triple jump, or they won four. They were the girls were in four events. They scored thirty eight points, and at that time, they w- they were either first or second at the NCAA championship with two athletes. You know, does that mean that Stanford isn't the first or second best team in the country that year? I mean, so I, I don't. I, I that's the way it fell. They got it done. Hey, Brooks did it. I mean, he got it done. So yeah. he scored thirty eight points at the national championship. But. <laughs> I did, I'm just not a. I, I'm not a fan of, you know. Cross country is a team sport. Track is is a little bit different, and and I personally think the, you know, our national championships are some of the best track meets in the country, and kids step up, and I don't necessarily think it's broken.
0: No, it's okay. And John, go ahead, man. I was going to so ask. Right now, I'm right there. Yeah,
4: so I was going to ask Amy. Do you think? Um, you know one of the things that I and I've thought more and more about this over the last couple of weeks, do you feel maybe indoor tra- if you looked at just indoor track and outdoor track, that they're uh, redundant, you know, if I'm sitting as an as an athletics director who doesn't really necessarily know the the nuances, the ins and outs of of track and field. And I sit here and say, well, in March, you, you your sport crowns a 200-meter champion, and then two months later, you crown another 200-meter champion. Why do you do that? You know, as, as, as somebody who, 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 do, who wouldn't know, well, there's a significant difference, obviously, between the indoor and outdoor 200-meter, but you know we know that difference, but an AD may not. So why do you think that, I guess my question is, do you think one of the, whether it's indoor or outdoor, should look totally different than the other? do you think that would be a a, maybe a different approach to to our sport?
5: I mean, before I got into the sport, I think, well, I I know they used to run like the 300, you know, they ran different events. No, I, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I think it's two different sports and it's, you know, The setup is completely different. Clearly an indoor track, bank track versus, you know, from, well, most most meets now are on bank track. No, I don't necessarily think so. I mean, I, I see where the non total non-track person sees that, you know, I think there's, you know, I think it's, they don't see it, but yet they still take advantage of counting us as three sports. So like, you know, Mm -hmm. um, so they understand enough to realize that we count you know on the, especially on the female side you count a cross country kid a distance kid could count you know that gives you three gender equity numbers three title nine numbers um but i no i mean i i mean as a person that lives in florida what i <laughs> i could live with not having an indoor track and get on a plane every weekend but i you know i think again we have some great championships it's it's we have a world championship in indoor track, so I, I think it's, it's a great event, and it's, there's a lot of, you know, great competitions. Well, Coach, but I, you mean- I can I can see where administrators get that.
3: Coach, you mentioned, you know, high school track meets and going through the districts and then, you know, regionals and state or whatever the progression may be. Do you think that that would be a better model than maybe the qualifying list that we are working on now?
5: I think that I think our sports where where I feel our sports, I mean, you have the indoor championships, which is probably one of the hardest NA- NCAA national championships to make of any of the sports that, that the NCAA sponsors. It's the top 16 per event. Mm-hmm. and 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 I actually think I could be wrong, but I kind of feel like that's kind of their way of, you know, you could have a big outdoor championship back to the it, the question before, but then, you know, then we go outdoors and we take 48 at the division one level, you know, to me, it's from one extreme to the next, where I struggle with our sport is the fact that they mandate that we take 48 people to a preliminary round and they call it the preliminary round of the NCAA championship, but none of us are being reimbursed or, mm-hmm. you know, the most expensive meets on our schedule during the year and um so to me it's for a lack of a better term a little bit hypocritical you have the indoor championship which is clearly the one of the toughest track meets to make in the country or in the world and then you have this preliminary round which is polar opposite of what we have to do indoors. so to me that's where that's where i kind of you know and I, you guys probably remember and people have said this on the podcast, we were supposed to have so called regional qualifying indoor. That was where it originally started, way back with the Dennis Craddocks and the, you know, different people in the sport. And then we end up with it outdoors, but we still end up with a descending order list indoors. So I mean, I think there's some things we we definitely could look at, but you know.
4: Well, I don't want to give too much away, but on an executive committee call this morning, there was talk of um, outdoors going back to a descending order list
5: for this year only or permanently.
4: Um, that's in question. <laughs> it, it's a question, and so, you're not going
0: to open that can up.
4: Yeah. So, well, we got into this. We we so we had a call a month ago, our January call. It. it It was a Wednesday. And then literally like four days later that the, you know, there's that, I'm sure everybody's seen it by now, the statement that we were going to go down to 32 uh, this year for, for the preliminary round. And so obviously nobody on the executive committee, like we didn't even talk about it in January because nobody knew about it. And then we, uh, we had a long conversation about it today and it's, it was a fascinating conversation. It's, it, it did stem Again, this is the conspiracy theory. People are going to love this stuff. Um, it, it was, uh, you know, the sport committee. It was. It was told to Jeff Malinsky and the sport committee that we need to, to to take this into consideration, or we're going to go straight to a descending order list. And it gets to your point, Amy. That that um, you know, the issue this year is is you know that. Um, you know, because of covid and, and the finances that that schools have to 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 pay for this preliminary round, um, you know the institutions are complaining, well, hey, we need to find a way to save money. Um, you know because I had suggested, well, can't we kind of do what indoors, you know what we're doing indoors is take a look, you know a month out from the from the championship and the, you know if if fifty percent of the institutions have participated in outdoor track, then we get the full champ you know the full forty eight of if less than 50. And they said, no, because, because it's different because indoors the NCAA pays for everything, right? The, the, the NCAA championship, whereas institutions aren't saving money, um, by, by having the full 48. So that's, that's kind of where it came from this whole idea of 32. It's apparently though, it's still not, um, the, the sport committee recommended 32, uh, but the championship oversights committee, um, Walked that back and said we're not ready to to do that yet. So it's as as of today, it's still forty eight that are that are that could potentially qualify. But the jury's still out, so to speak. On um,
5: I've been waiting. I I think I've been waiting. It's funny you bring that up because yeah, the the decisions that have been made up to this point and the timeliness of the decisions being made, like to me, sense. Well, I just, I I just, and then, and then for the finances and, you know, being at the end of, of a very difficult year for a lot of institutions, you know, we're like basically the second to last sport before baseball, you know, I think baseball goes after us, but, you know, maybe softball a little bit, but I, i am just not convinced, I, I've never been convinced that 48 or 32 is going to be the final. um, I'm just not even convinced that that, you know, I mean, we're in Jacksonville, Florida, and you put 48 throwers in that small area, you know, from a safety, even from yeah. still so yeah, I a lot to be a lot out there that a lot of unknown.
4: Yeah. We, I mean, we talked a little bit today about just even, even if the, the indoor championship was 16, it's still, um, uh, obviously it, being indoors presents a whole nother challenge, but, um, just even from a safety standpoint with 16 athletes, it was still, you know, questionable how exactly it was going to work with testing and, you know, people from all over the country. And, and you know, yeah, you put 48 people in a, in a, you know, a throws area that's, uh, or 48 jumpers out there, you know, two flights out there at the same time. Well, that's a lot of, a lot of kids uh, mingling around each other. And, and and so, yeah, there's, there's all kinds of questions. So I, it was just, it was a fascinating conversation. Um you know, one of the things I took away from it is again, can, I know Sam didn't really wanna and I wasn't gonna bring it up, but I was like, if there's a way to find money within the NCAA, and this is definitely not the year to do it, but the NCAA just needs to pay for the preliminary round. I think that would yeah. that would solve a lot of a lot of our headaches. Uh-huh. That, that solves everybody's headaches when somebody else is paying the bill.
1: Has anybody heard anything else about um I know obviously this indoor season doesn't count towards anybody's eligibility, but has has that been addressed for outdoors yet? Or is that even going to be addressed? It's not, I don't th- I, we talked a little bit today. It's not going to I don't think it's going to be addressed.
5: No. I, uh, I mean, I don't know that if you look at the spring sports, I know at least at UM and different, I know baseball, I think baseball would be opposed to it at this point, just because of managing, they have squad list numbers. They've, that they've already had to extend. Um, You know, so I've heard that even if they do, they're not going to they're not going to extend the scholarship limits for another year like they did this year. So. Yeah.
0: But so if we come back here just a little bit, the we can go down that stuff for a long time, and so I'm going to bring it back just a little bit. That's my job to bring to bring it centered uh, over again. Um, but one thing, actually, that uh, Amy, we've asked a few phenomenal coaches on this podcast, and uh, we're again we are very very blessed to have you on the on the show. The one of the things we've always worried about, and with Clemson and the dogfight that they're in right now. Uh, with Minnesota and their dogfight that they they were in, William and Mary, Brown, get a lot of those schools that kind of do that stuff. One of the things that we always worried about is, you know, how do you keep your sport relevant? And we've had different people, we've had administrators on here say, hey, endow endow the positions, endow the coaching positions, that'll help, or endow scholarships, that'll help. We have other people that would say, hey, actually just you should be you know scoring track meets and having smaller meets on campus but yet again some administrators don't want meets on campus because they don't want facilities to have to put them on they want to put them in other areas other people say just go make friends with your administration and but make sure you have a story to tell and why your your program is important uh so ask you this somebody who's been in miami for a long time and it doesn't matter one program you've been in one program or not like what is a way that you make miami relevant uh, are you seeing Mammy track and field and cross country relevant to your administration and is there something other coaches can do that you'd say hey this is the advice I would give you to make sure that your program stays relevant because I know right now, COVID's still here programs are still figuring it out budgets are still getting adjusted, a lot of us are still worried that if Clemson does go away, and maybe Clemson just doesn't care, the administration maybe they just don't care the way things are going. There's looks like a few more programs, and it won't be just G fives. Might be powers get cut as well, and that kind of scares us all, you know. So what what would you say to that?
5: I mean, the, the what I've done is just really, I really try to have good relationships, and and you know, and I guess it it takes administrators, good administrators, to do it. But I mean, I try to have really good good relationships with my administrators and. And understand what they want from me in in the sports you know and I, I i can tell you i haven't spent a lot of time worrying about it and and i'm not worried about it at all right now because i've had those discussions with my ad and with with our with my sport administrator and but um clemson i think rocked all of us i mean i'm i'm in the conference with them and yeah. you know every, brought okay they're a relevant program they're a good program they've won multiple championships they've you know they've done a lot they've they've got olympians so Mm -hmm. they brought a lot of of very positive um you know positive stuff back to their campus and um so that's the scary part of it i think and um is that you know you're here you have a power five program and the acc conference Um, a program that's pretty much been at the top of the conference year in and year out. And, you know, and then you get an administrator who for what I I don't know personally, but seems not just doesn't like the sport, you know, and, and that's really scary. I, I, but for me, it's just really building relationships within your pro within your administration and, and making sure that you're doing everything in your power to, 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 to do the things that you need to do to keep your program relevant, and and you know, I don't think there's a, I, yeah, I, it's, I think each program is different. I think some are financial. I think, and that's the other thing, like, is is it is it gender? You know, some programs it's more of a of a numbers game than it is an actually a financial game. You know, it's more of a of making the the Title IX numbers match and. So I think it's for me, it's just been really just just having that relationship and having those tough conversations and 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 moving on from there.
0: Well, that's one thing we forget about. Go, Scott, go ahead, please.
1: Well, I'm just curious. you know you're you're obviously in the the conference with Clemson, and you know maybe you know a, a little bit more about their situation and stuff. But you know they're from the outside looking in, it looks like they've really kind of gotten just kind of stonewalled. And there doesn't seem to be any kind of like traction or, um, you know, I I know there's obviously some things they're doing, you know, kind of behind, behind the scenes, but is there anything that you could see that would, you know, help that program, you know, maybe kind of get some more traction into being reinstated or, um, anything, I guess.
5: Um, and I mean, I, you know, I was just there this past weekend and, and was talking to a couple of the coaches. And um, I mean, they're still, you know, they've got a strong alumni group that's come in uh, and former coaches in the program um, coaches within, you know, coaches within our conference have have written letters Um, to me. It's, it's really, you know, what the president, they, they've, they've attacked it from what I feel is like a lot of good angles. You know, they, former athletes, um, you know, they've hit it from a diversity on campus to revenue versus non-revenue with minority student athletes. I mean, they've, they've, to me, they've come up with a pretty strategic approach to, to, you know, attacking it. Um, but I don't, I don't, I guess I, it's hard for me to say because I don't think anybody understands what the true motivation of, of why they did what they did. I mean, even if you read the rationale, I mean, $2 million is a lot of money, but they just paid a football coach to stay and not go to another school. So, and again, I don't really wanna get into that part of it, but I just, it, to me, it's just, it's how do you define somebody's priorities? And I think that's that's the issue at Clemson is the priority of the president and the, and the athletic director um doesn't seem to be you know to to be a strong proponent of track and field and to me it, like you're keeping the women's program but you're truly not a proponent of the sport because of the decisions you're making because if you if you if you cut met, you're, you're affecting both programs by your decision
1: 100% absolutely um and excuse me for not knowing this but will clemson be the only school in the conference then that does not sponsor both men and women
0: boston college
1: boston college okay
0: sometimes i forget about boston college i'm not gonna lie i apologize boston college we love you guys we've been up to you meet bean town's awesome but sometimes you forget you're up there but yeah,
5: every other program has um has um both so
0: man it was a we were at well we were at the meet a couple weeks ago uh with you as well i mean i remember actually seeing some parents out there we're, were i'm not going to use the word tailgating i would say the word uh, protesting a little bit they had signs on the cars save clemson track and field and had a little beanie or had a little uh, look like buttons and everything out there right outside of the meet and uh, heart goes out to those guys and those families uh for especially for things that get cut along those ways because you know those are kids that make a decision and believe in a place and sometimes man things just don't work out and i hate that you know yeah i don't like doing that
5: no and i i mean you just totally you know just out of the blue i don't yeah. think we were all totally shocked you can imagine those young people this young athletes sitting in there you know in the meeting hearing it so you know i i don't i i'm stumbling over my words here i it's just a really sad situation that you just never would have, you know, when it hit Minnesota, that that was hard. And then, you know, then Clemson and mm-hmm. it was just, it's like, it's just people talk about it, but you don't really think it's going to happen. And I guess that's where we've got to figure it out is, you know, like I think I just said the magic thing. Like we talk about it, like, yes, we got to protect our programs, but I don't think deep down we, we truly believe
0: that certain schools are going to make those type of decisions. And as you said, you know, none of you 100% said it. And we don't believe those programs that ever make a decision. A Clemson program with the, with the tradition, the history of the Olympians, the incredible people they've had throughout the years and the facility they have. I mean, how in the world do you do that with a facility like that? And it's just, it baffles you and it blows your mind. As you said, you know, we're going to keep the women's side. We're not going to keep the men. Like, so do you really value cross country and track and field at Clemson? I mean, that's a hard sell for a coach to be able to do. And, you know, I was actually talking to one of the UMKC athletes, Missouri, Kansas City athletes, when they uh, last night talking about coming down here to run. And I said, how was it? And I said, can you ask me? Because I even hate making this phone call to somebody who's been cut." And she said, it's, uh, it was interesting because it was right outside. It just got taken out from underneath us. We didn't even know what was going to happen. We had no warning sign. You know, maybe we should have seen the warning that they wouldn't give us gear in the beginning of the year. Uh, but other than that, like, it was like, that was the only thing, like we weren't given our gear, but we just figured it's COVID. We're going to wait a little bit longer. There's money issues. We didn't think there was any other issues. And all of a sudden, boom, it blew up on them. So that's, a it's tough with that kind of stuff. Um, if we can, I mean, and I know one thing, that is one thing over the podcast we have talked about a lot is, is how do we keep our programs relevant and that kind of stuff. But, uh, coach actually to come back to coaching, let's come back to coaching here for a second. Um, advice for younger coaches i know we asked it for younger females and that kind of stuff is there is there any advice you give to a coach moving forward right now in, in today's world is it more the networking stuff and the other part of the question would be where do you see the sport where do you see cross country and track and field going we always forget about cross a little bit where do you see cross country and track and field going in the next five ten years is there a vision you see of it or is it like you know what this is just going to keep continuing as is because we've had coaches on here like yourself about it for years saying hey you guys just are fighting the same battles we are we tried these battles 20 years ago. We've talked about these same things 20 years ago, and the and the sport doesn't change. You know, of the only thing changes is the kids get. You know, the kids. You know, we stay the same age, but the kids get younger, and they just keep coming through the programs.
5: Um, I mean, I think I think it just goes to like you asked me early on in the podcast, like, do we sit down? You know, each year, do we evaluate what's good, what's bad? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's always good to have healthy conversations about our sport. I think you know the you know having conversations, you know, respecting each other's opinions, I think is very healthy for the sport. I think we have a lot of very um, smart and, and hardworking people in our sport. But I do, I I mean, I do believe that, you know, we, I think one of the challenges of our sport is, is that we have a hard time coming together because we have such a diverse interest group. You know, we have distance coaches, we have throws coaches, we have three sports, we have, you know, like you said, you have the Portland's and the New Mexico's that are, that are really, you know, focused focused. Mm -hmm. or, you know, not, not as well-rounded of a team as other teams are, but they're still very successful. So you have a lot of, you know, what makes our sport great is the fact that, we just, you know, sometimes I, I tell somebody like that, like it doesn't understand our sport, you know, go to attract me. It's like organized chaos, you know, if you don't really understand the sport and, but that's what makes our sport great. I mean, is the diversity, you know, the difference between throwers and distance kids, and you put 50, 60, 70 kids on a team and working together, that's life, you know, that's, that's what they're going to have to do the next, how many years of their life in, in a work situation. So I think we really have a a great sport and I mean we do have a great sport I think you know and I don't know if you've had Ben Lanana on here or not but Ben is a big that we just our biggest problem is is it because he's nowadays in our conference I get to hear it a little more as well um and I but you know that we don't you know, we don't sell the stories in our sport. We don't, um, you know, we don't, we don't publicize our sport as well as we could. So to me, I, that's, I actually kind of agree with him on that is we have great stories to tell. And I think sometimes we don't, we're not great at selling our story or, 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 or telling our story, you know, as track coaches. And I, I think that that's where we could do better as, you know, as an organization is, but it's just i I feel like after 30 years in the sport that our biggest problem is the fact that we're that we just we have such diverse interests that it's hard for us to come together and get behind something one thing that's could possibly make the sport better so i i actually think it needs to start with us and then go from there um but again that's not anything that's different now than it was 10 years ago or anything like that but but i do think we have a mode to we have a lot with social media and and the things that that young people. We have so much more avenues to tell our stories, and I I do think that I do actually after listening I do agree and and going through COVID I actually agree with Ben that that those are ways that that we can we can help our sport. I think we just have to be a little bit more professional um, in our approach with our administrations. I I think. The days of coaches being athletic directors, you know, isn't as prevalent as it was years ago. You're getting more CEO type fundraiser type people in in athletic and leadership roles on our campuses. And I think that requires us to be a little bit more professional in our approach um, and running our programs and, and, and talking to our administration about the things we need to to keep our programs relevant.
0: No, I couldn't. I couldn't agree with you more. Scott, go ahead. You're, I know you got something itching.
1: Well, no, I was just thinking, you know, that's something we've talked about a lot. It might have been uh, Mike that mentioned that is this, we we might be better off as a profession. And and if someone just kind of told us what we needed to do, you know, uh, it seems like, you know, when, when we we're having all those conversations about the regional system and voting on this one or versus this one, and then they just came out, came out with, you know, one that was kind of nobody voted on and said, here it is. And It seemed to work out just fine and you know you know that's kind of how it's done in so many other sports is they tell you how to play a basketball game they tell you how to play a football game and you know it's not up to the coaches to you know so much figure out the the nuances of the sport yeah because we always like like you said we're all you know um so many different you know interests we just can't really get past ourselves
0: no doubt about that one. And if you actually, if anybody wants to go back to, uh, and listen a little bit about it, what Amy was talking about with, you know, Vin LaNana, go back to episode number 13 when Vin was on call to arms and it's actually done incredibly well for us. Vin, we thank you for that UVA. We thank you for that. Of course, and shameless plug right there for you guys. Um, but at the same time, that's exactly what he talked about is storytelling. And I think if you go back to anything for a business world, you go back to, uh, anybody says like, how do you sell your product? How do you sell your school? How do you sell what you do? You don't tell them, you know, you tell them a story. It's a true story it's exactly what it is but you tell them a story you don't want to tell them something just facts because nobody's going to read facts nobody remembers facts they remember the story they remember something that they can connect with and so if you have those stories if it's a a personal interest story or things like that and i know personal interest stories when we get to broadcast aren't the greatest things but it does tie people in it ties the average person into being able to do things john you look like you got something buddy
4: well, I was just going to kind of hit on a point Amy just made Is you know, the professionalism, you know, I think one of the, one of the, the things we like about coaching and I, I, I feel comfortable saying this that most coaches again, Amy, I get the most hate mail out of the whole group. So this is like not abnormal to, for me to go out on a limb and people true. usually send me some emails. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think, you know, one of the things we, we probably all like about, about, uh, our profession is the fact that we can kind of show up in shorts and t-shirts and and workout clothes and and go to practice and and, it, and it's really you know a lot of fun that way, but if we were and I I, I remember when I first uh, took over at St. Louis I had a had interim AD at the time who said you know John you have to think of this as you're running your own small business you're the CEO of the track and field program and you got to run it like a business and I sometimes think that there's some coaches especially I don't again I hate blaming coaches, but a lot, a lot of young coaches get into it and and they don't understand the business piece of it. And I think that's probably where some folks go wrong. Um, you know, not understanding that, Hey, you, you, when you show up to your athletic director's office, you probably ought to, you know, not be in a t-shirt and shorts. You probably ought to be in a little bit more professional, um, you know, apparel, you know, when you're, when you're having a a formal meeting with your athletics director, uh, I, I, Every time I see our athletics director, he's, he's always in a coat and tie uh, or it seems like he's always in a coat and tie. And so if I walk in and in a T-shirt and shorts, I, I, I feel like I've underdressed for the for the occasion. And so I, I just think that's a if we want to tell our stories, um, you know, especially as it relates to our administrators, we have to take ourselves seriously and, and, and be professionals. So I, I think that's just a, an area that uh, and, and by no means am I perfect. Um, but, you know, I think it's one area that as coaches we all can – yeah, Scott, you can keep laughing. Um, but, you know, it, it is one area where we could, I think, probably all, you know, really do well with.
0: No, no questions about it. Uh, and and that makes the thing. Tell the story. Be professional about it. Always expect the unexpected, you know, because that's the things I know that if you're watching an, an administrator to go and they come in a shirt and tie or at least a coat and tie every day, like they never know what's going to get thrown at them. And that's something I've always learned is – you got to look professional when you hit the office because you don't know if you're going to get a call. I got a call uh, earlier this week about a product, uh, about trying out a product, product called Firefly. And uh, before you know it, later that day, I was having uh, a cup of coffee with a guy talking to him. The well, last thing I want to do is show up in a, in a graphic T-shirt and a pair of shorts walking into it. Again, with the weather, I probably couldn't have gone like that. But, you know, you don't want to look like that. You want to look professional because you're representing yourself, your school. And honestly, you're representing your brand and what you're doing. So you are your own brand. So... Uh, Amy, it was great having you on here. We we truly appreciate you being on here. We were able to uh, go through a lot of topics. Uh, we dove we dove into some stuff and we we I know we've definitely learned a lot, which is is a great thing to do it. And again, from a small town and Parkersburg, west virginia coming to miami and then doing exactly what you've done it's been an unbelievable job and an incredible job and you know you said you've taken a little bit longer than you wanted to get the men going um but that would be the exact words of somebody who is competitive but somebody who definitely is going to get the men going at the level that you expect them to be at and i love watching what the what the u is doing on there so thank you very much for being on here
5: well thank you for having me i really enjoyed it
0: no absolutely and best of luck to you and gentlemen thanks for going thanks for coming on here as always and Ladies and gentlemen, we'll definitely do better for next week for you. So thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks Coach. Night. Wow, I tell you what, what an absolute incredible class act Coach Amy Deem is. Uh, that, that was a great interview, no questions about it. She's very open and honest about the state of coaching today in, in, in the NCAA, but also her history, her background. That was absolutely awesome. I truly I am uh, pretty impressed. I'm not impressed, but I'm pretty amazed by the opposition she ran by women coaching women when she first started out. I would have never thought that in today's world. Uh, but you can definitely hear her passion uh, for the sport of cross-country and track and field, the athletes that she coaches, her staff, and how important that work-life balance is. And one thing we actually asked her, a little extra tidbit, if you stayed on this long, thank you for staying on this long. But one question I ever asked her, uh, and I asked her off of a podcast, was what makes you tick at night or what makes you keeps you up at night and she said honestly not being able to reach the athletes i coach and i want to see in themselves that other people see in them installing confidence instilling self-confidence is a big thing i think that's something that all of us uh, as coaches try and do with our athletes but once again ladies and gentlemen thank you for joining us and playing a chair for the off track podcast it is incredible to have you here and thank you for making us one of the top 25 podcasts running podcasts in the united states if you liked what we did please go ahead and share us on social media on twitter instagram facebook wherever the case you may find your podcast itunes go ahead please like us give us a five-star rating spotify as well share that link get the word out share it with your friends have people listen to it word of mouth without question is the best advertising thank you ladies and gentlemen look forward to talking to you again next week